everyone. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you, as always, for spending some time with me. I hope that you are doing something fun while you're listening, maybe going for a walk, I don't know, cooking, maybe cooking some organ meats if you know what's good for you. Um, But I hope you're doing well, and uh, I appreciate you being here. Today's episode is a little different. Um, I kind of just made a split-second decision that I wanted to talk about something a little bit different and in sort of a different format. Um, It all started uh, a few, a couple months ago. I was um, a guest on a friend of mine's podcast. His name is Colin Stuckert. He is the founder of Wild Foods Company. Um, I love this company. They make a lot of healthy ancestral health inspired products, things like really high quality um, collagen and vitamin D supplements and protein and, and products like that. So it's like with ancestral health in mind, but also the modern world and reality in mind. So just trying to help you be sort of a healthier person, really high quality stuff, really like that company. Anyway, Colin and I were having a chat about ancestral nutrition and organ meats and things like that. And as we were chatting, he was telling me that, you know, his wife had just had a baby um, in the room right next to where he was recording, had a home birth. And it's something that I've always been deeply fascinated by, of course, as a woman, as a woman that may one day have that experience. Um, Equal parts terrified and interested um, and confused and freaked out, as I think many women are. Um, And it's a much bigger conversation even than what we're having today, although we do cover all of these aspects around um, the current state of sort of our medical system, especially regarding childbirth, uh, how it's widely regarded in North America as a medical emergency that requires help rather than a very natural thing that women have been doing since the beginning of time. Um, And it's a really complicated and layered and complex conversation, obviously, because on one hand, we are incredibly fortunate that we have the medical interventions that we have um, to protect the safety of babies and mothers. Um, But at the same time, a lot of these modern medical interventions are being used unnecessarily and to the mother's detriment. And a lot of the way that we approach learning about birth is not helpful and in many ways is harmful um, to women because it teaches us to be afraid and to not trust our bodies and to not really understand how things work. Um, And so I personally... um, I'm interested in learning about all aspects of childbirth and all of the ways that it can go, all of the things that we should be learning as mothers and as partners and all of these things. Um, So before any of the men who are listening turn this off, I think that it's important that we all listen to this. And and this interview, by the way, was done with Colin and his wife, Allison. So it's kind of an interesting family affair because you kind of get to hear both sides of the home birth process and the pregnancy process and the delivery process and see a little bit of the uh, marital interaction. And of course, we get to make fun of the man for his extremely limited role, even when they're super helpful and good. Uh, it's really pretty incredible what the um, what the female body and mind is capable of doing. But anyway, you'll, you'll hear all of the fun kind of intricacies of that as we go through the interview. Um, but anyway, I think that this is important for men and women to listen to because we all come from birth and we, many of us, most of us will experience it either directly or indirectly, or someone we love and care about will have this experience. And it is a fundamental 
human experience that we should all know about, that we should all be interested in, that we should all respect and care about. Um, just because you don't give birth doesn't mean that it's not an incredibly important piece of the human experience, you know? So, um, I really think that this is a good one for everyone to listen to and certainly for you guys to share with anyone who may be pregnant, thinking about getting pregnant, ready to have a baby, um, just want to learn more about this stuff. So um, yeah, that, that's, I guess, as much of an intro as I need to give. We're going to talk about all aspects of it. So the preparation, the differences between a, a medical birth and a home birth, because Allison did experience both, um, the way she ate, the way she labored, the way she recovered, the way she worked out, all of these things. Um, and the fact that her husband was terrified to watch and participate in the process. Sorry, Colin, I just got to rib you a little bit. Um, anyway, I had a fantastic time chatting with these guys. It was really fun to kind of hear an honest perspective and to hear their feelings about um, their experience, which, as I'm going to say again here, is their experience and their feelings. We're not trying to advocate for any one particular thing over another. Everyone's birth is individual and um, like every aspect of health that I'm always talking about, I think it's important for you to empower yourself by learning and experimenting and asking questions and doing what's right for you. And that's going to look different for everybody. So I'm never going to tell people you got to do one thing or another, except maybe, you know, do push-ups and eat organ meats. You know, I have my biases. But anyway, without further ado, here is my very enlightening, very funny uh, chat with Allison and Colin about their home birth experience. All right, Allison, Colin, Rowan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So excited. Okay, so a little bit of backstory, um, because this isn't actually a topic that I, I don't think I've maybe ever covered or certainly not covered a lot on the podcast. Um, but Colin, you and I were chatting over on your excellent podcast. And as we were kind of getting off the call, you mentioned that, you know, you, you guys had just had a baby and the baby had been delivered at home. And this is a topic that as a, a I'm not a mother, someday, maybe I'm still kind of negotiating that. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm very, very fascinated with, um, all things, pregnancy, childbirth, everything, how you prepare for it mentally and physically, um, how you stay healthy and happy and active and functional throughout a pregnancy. Home births are incredible. Like it's just, it's so scary and intimidating, but amazing at the same time for someone like mm -hmm. me who I feel like may someday have this experience, but I've like thought probably right. way too much about it already uh, for somebody who is not <laughs> even mm -hmm. pregnant. Um, so anyway, I just really wanted to like dive deep on your experience um, and uh, and kind of just get into it and just and just hear your story. So I appreciate yeah. you being, being willing to share. I mean, it's a pretty personal thing. It's a pretty intense thing. So thank you for uh, being willing to answer all my crazy questions. Yeah, um, it's, I think the last time I checked, it was like 3% of women in America birth outside of a hospital, mm -hmm. which is just an astronomically low amount that I feel like, especially now I've done a birthing center birth. I got transferred to a hospital that was with Daro. So I've done literally like all aspects of birth. I've had birthing center hospital and now home birth. Mm -hmm. And um, C-section. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like I've done- I've, Which is part of the whole, yeah. like how our second experience is so different because the first was so different. So I think maybe you could do a, a brief in, 
intro to the first one yeah, and then see how that compared to this one because this one was like she said behind me in the room behind me yeah. we're in the, my, my room right now in the studio Mm-hmm. So my, what I was leading to with that is that like, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Cause I feel like what, you know, how you're talking about how you feel like you overanalyze and you put too much thought into it. The only reason that is, is because you didn't grow up learning all this stuff the way that you're supposed to, so that you can trust your body intuitively. And most women in America don't, they somehow stumble across it, or maybe they happen to be raised that way, but most women aren't, and they don't know anything. There's a huge learning curve and it's really scary. And I think we're kind of indoctrinated to fear birth rather than embrace it. And I yes. was like, like, if I can help one woman be like, I'm going to do a home birth and she doesn't have any medical interventions and she doesn't have any of the crazies, any of the like negative things that I feel like happened to me with my first birth, then like, I'm all, I, I'm, I will share all the stuff. Yeah. So. Okay. So before we kind of start with the, your, your first birth experience and then the second one, just a couple quick things I want to say. So first of all, to anyone listening, you know, this is your story, your experience. I think it's important that we talk about, um, birth the same way that we talk about a lot of other health things and that it's a natural part of, of life yep. and it doesn't right. have it to be scary. That's not to say that there isn't an absolute need for medical intervention sometimes and that giving birth in a hospital is necessary sometimes um, and that everyone's birth experience is different. I just, you know, you got to give these disclaimers because I think a lot of times people, you know, if you talk about one thing, one experience or one opinion, there's there's sort of the responsible, what about my opinion or what about my feeling well, or, or what about other experiences? And I just, yeah, I just want to get that out there as like emotional. a disclaimer. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, like we, you know, just because something I talk about this with diet all the time, just because something works for me, doesn't mean it works for you and vice versa, right. all that stuff. But I also felt, and something that I said, I think I said this to you, Colin, in our last chat is as a potential mother and somebody who is exposed to, um, some of the sort of either marketing or education online, um, about around healthy childbirth and healthy pregnancy and all of these things. I feel like I see so much and Allison, you tell me if you feel this way, but like, I, I see so much out there that is meant to show the negative side and, um, and not, I don't know if it's necessarily like it's trying to scare me, but I suppose that's something like natural birthing is what you're saying. Any, anything like anything about having a, like baby just having kids period is, is now scary. terrifying. Yes. Y- so yeah, like, younger, it's like, it's yeah. like, this is what you're going to feel like. You're going to be overwhelmed. Mm. You're never going to have a minute to yourself. You're going to ha- feel this litany of pains and yep. recovery. Yep. And it's a trauma to your body and you have to do X, Y, and Z and all this on and on and on. And again, I'm not saying that's inaccurate. I'm just saying that that is the majority of what I see online. And you'll see these posts from moms who are like, I wish people had told me how scary and painful and alone and sad and blah, blah, blah it is. And I'm like, that's all I hear. I don't hear any of the upsides to having a kid at all. I don't hear about any of the negativity bias. It really is. And like, I already Mm -hmm. lean that way anyway. So I'm like this, if, if I relied purely online sources for my, uh, for my education, I would never have a kid ever. It sounds so terrifying and awful. So anyway, that's sort of where I'm coming from mentally with this conversation. So that's why, yeah, I need to hear from like, I think part of that is because you get a lot, especially on like Instagram and stuff, you get these like glamorized family accounts where they have like all these kids and they're like, all their outfits are matching and ever all the pictures look perfect the lighting is perfect and you never see the mom's post about like getting spit up on in their hair 
or have yeah, an Instagram seventeen feed. times because their infant is crying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's like this polarizing opposite that has kind of come out yeah, where moms other. are like, I wish people had told me about this and blah, blah, blah. And there's no balance. And the truth is, is that it's a mix of both. Like you're going to have all of it. You will have moments that are overwhelming, but you're also going to have moments where you're like, I was totally made to do this. You know what I mean? And I really think it just depends on the person and kind of how much they have been fall how long they've been following their intuition for the more probably confident they feel in their decisions yeah um but it's i i see like i see both of them i don't see a lot of the middle which is really where the truth lies yes and this is something again i talk about on the show all the time more generally about health and wellness is that the extremes are so much easier to latch onto because they're mm -hmm. more provocative or they're sexier or they're just more polarizing. But as with everything, childbirth, food, everything, most people fall somewhere in the middle. Most people are not yep. on either of those extremes. So I think that right. having more voices kind of just telling the truth, the good and the bad is is important. Well, and it's um, also over overarchingly good too. Yeah. There's definitely the the, like having kids for men and women is something that you can't replicate in any other way. And like someone like Jordan Peterson has got a pretty big following. He believes that most people cannot reach their fullest potential without actually having kids. Like he's, he act, actively says things like that. And I, and I think I tend to agree with that. I've always known I've wanted kids, but if you look at just the narcissistic culture we have and a lot of the younger girls that like, they're afraid of it, but at the same time, they have this idea that their life should just be everyday perfect the way they want, Instagram perfect, like, like just mapped out and the idea that I'd give up some of that for like someone else or whatever, like that's the selfish narcissistic culture that that is being perpetuated. Right. And it, and I've talked to a lot of younger girls and they're just like, I don't want kids ever, but I love kids. I want to hang out with them and play with them. And like, that's a common theme. And I'm like, I wonder how much that has to do with them getting phones when they're like 12. Like I literally yeah. believe it's connected. Could you, could you so argue that, that, uh, creating a copy of yourself is the ultimate form of narcissism though? Like you're like, I just want to create another little, like better looking version of me that I can just put out into the world and show everybody this incredible thing that I created. I mean, Hey, so, you can argue both yes, there, and there are a lot of yeah. people who think that way. I'm very much of the mentality that like this, this, he doesn't belong to me. My children do not belong to me. Even me saying like my children. It makes I don't know another way to word it, but it makes me cringe a little bit. Like they're they are humans that yes are like we created, but they've been entrusted to us, and so we have to like you have to treat them with respect. They have their own identity, their own stuff. They're not going to be like you, even though they might look like you and they may act like you in certain ways. Like they're not you, but they're yes, not your property. There are, they're not your property. There are a lot of people who think that way that are like, oh, I'm going to have like you know, and even like D Daro when he was. He, I mean, he looks almost identical to me when I was little. So like, I call him my mini, but that's not like a, that's no ownership thing mm -hmm. on him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there is an argument. Yes. But I don't personally feel like that is the appropriate perspective you're supposed to take on parenting and your children. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would be my argument to that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into your experience because as you've kind of alluded to here, it seems like your your first birthing experience was very different from your second. So tell us a little bit about it. And were were you brought up um, to kind of believe in childbirth as like a natural, normal occurrence? Or were you brought up like most of us to think it's a terrifying ordeal you have to get through in the hospital before you can have a baby? So I actually took a parent prep class when I was a freshman or a sophomore, I think it was a sophomore in high school. Cause I, at the time wanted to be a neonatal nurse. Uh, 
we, I have never seen so many birth videos in my entire life. And I'm actually looking back on that now, like the types of births that I saw, I'm actually kind of surprised because we went over water births. I don't think they went over home births, but they did like water births in a hospital. And that was 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago. And I feel like that's still a very, like people just don't do that a lot that I'm really surprised that we went over that. But in, I mean, I saw regular hospital births. There were like water births. There were all of tons of different types. And I took away from that, that hospital births just felt very clinical to me. Like the rooms were white. It was super bright. Like women were on a bed. It just intuitively felt very like unnatural to me to want to birth in that way. Like I felt like I would want to move and I would want it to be more dark and I would be. So I think that's where my journey with like knowing what I, so I always thought I, I wanted a water birth ever since I was like literally 14 years old. Before that, I don't really recall having any sort of opinion on it. I don't think I had been told anything. I mean, my mom's birth story is that she was like eight centimeters when she got there and she was like screaming at everybody. And so she more traumatization. Being, yeah, so that, that was, a, you know, her, you know, was whatever. But other than that, like, I didn't really know anything about birth. So I learned from a young age and I'm very grateful for that because I don't know that I would have chosen the path that I did had I not taken that class and seen like, all the different styles. Well, my experience with birth was when like I was like 15 and I figured out what what my part was and then that, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about how lucky and easy you guys get it cuz I'm already pissed No, about no, that. I talk about it all the time. Each I thought, I promote credit. her all the time and I promote yeah. all women. I'm like last night I was in Austin, she was here. We were doing a little get together, cookout, whatever, and I was like the reason I'm here and there's two kids at home with is because of her. She does all of it basically. And there was yeah. like a, there was actually two new mothers there. And I don't know if I was Trump. I was kind of like <laughs> preparing them for what's to come. Cause they both had like six week olds, but I, they probably already figured it out that like dad can only do so much. Yeah. I, I have told my partner, I'm like, if you could do it, we'd probably have four kids already. Like if right. I didn't have to go through all that, if it was right. your job, you know, I'll change the diapers. You do the childbirth. Like it would have already <laughs> happened. And just again, before you go any further, Allison, my, just to interject my experience via my mother, my mom had four children, hmm. unmedicated births. And she, she's like, Hey, it's not a big deal. Like what's mm. everybody so dramatic That's about? So I didn't take any drugs. Yeah, but you I mean, have that viewpoint. Well, but then again, it's like it's it's sort of like a different kind of form of pressure now because it's like if I have a kid and God forbid, I don't know, I get an epidural or something, she's like, yeah, right. "What a wuss!" Like, what a you know. So, yeah. but I also told her, I'm like, the the generations are different in that you had your first kid at the beautiful, young, healthy age of 21. I'm mm -hmm. already an old lady compared to you. Like, I you know, I'm I'm going down kicking and screaming. I'm waiting till the last possible moment before I do it. So mm -hmm. you know, there's a difference too. I think being 21 and having a kid and being in your mid to late thirties, I suppose. But yeah. anyway, so, okay, continue. My mom, my mom was 20 when she had me. So yeah, yeah she was yeah. young too. It was, yeah. It's different. Uh, okay. Yeah. So with Daro, so I, at that point, so my chiropractor had actually recommended that I look into some home birth midwives and I kind of just like blew her off. <laughs> I didn't look into it. I didn't, I don't think I trusted myself enough or knew enough about birthing at home. Like I still had some I would probably say like societal conditioning fears that were not necessarily at the forefront of my mind, but I think they were subconscious. And so for me, I felt more comfortable doing a birthing center. And so the birthing center that I chose was actually a little, was basically like, 
a natural birthplace with like a sprinkle of medicated on top is kind of yeah. how, or so, like medical on top is how I would explain and it. And they had, didn't they have like certain machines and interventions like at the birth center in case you had like emergency situation uh, and then hospitals like final like backup option. So everybody will have that. Like even my home birth midwife, she right, literally, in she part. has in her kit things to save your life. Like yep. I'm pretty sure that she has Pitocin in case you hemorrhage severely. Um, I mean, they're, tra they're literally trained with their hands to be able to save your life, but they like the birthing center had nitrous, which I actually have the MTHFR gene mutation. So I, I wasn't able to actually have that, but that's supposed to be like a natural thing for pain. Um, yeah. Can we stop here for so they have all this stuff? Sorry, yeah. I just want to like interrupt as we go so we don't get further along and I, I miss yeah. some, some stuff that I want to ask. Yeah, and clarify so, certain definitions that even I'm not aware of. Yeah, so I want to clarify a couple things because I know there's there's um, like midwives, there's doulas, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me the, the understanding is that a doula is more of a support, uh, someone who's going to support you through the pregnancy, whereas a midwife is basically a replacement for your, your doctor who would deliver, right? So the, the midwife has more- The only people who can deliver. Yeah. yeah. The only people who can deliver babies, at least like legally and get paid for it, um, would be a midwife and a doctor. And then yes. maybe a nurse practitioner. Don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely sure. So your midwife is basically like your, your medical. She is there to assess you and assess baby, mostly to make sure that you're healthy and that baby is healthy and that heart rates are stable and that everything looks good and all that. A doula is personally mother's like mental space support. That's it. Yeah. So there, my doula, cause I had a doula for both, but my doula for my home birth basically sat on a yoga ball for, I don't know how many hours and told me that I was a badass and that I was a birth goddess and that I could do this and that I was going to birth my baby at home. And I literally was looking at her like she had lost her effing mind at first thinking like, you're crazy. No, I can't. But the more she said it and the more that she did it, the more that it like seeped into my mind. And then that's what I did. That's what your doula is there for. They're also there to support like dad. If you want dad to be super hands-on and you're in like a 24 hour labor, he needs to sleep and she wants to step in. So it's purely for like emotional support for the mom. Midwives and doctors are who actually deliver babies and midwives have been delivering babies for like tens of thousands of years before mm -hmm. doctors. Doctors have only been delivering babies for like a hundred years, maybe mm -hmm. something like that. 200 and years. And going back to the nitrous thing, because in my research, I was like, hey, nitrous sounds pretty good. That's something I could get behind yeah. uh, because, you know, it's what nitrous is. You're basically inhaling it. Right. And it's a uh, yeah. self-administered. It's not really Relaxing taking you. away the pain. It kind of just makes you right. give yep. a shit less about the pain. Um, right. And you also I guess it's very it's incredibly like fast acting, but fast going. So like you stop breathing it in for a couple breaths and it's it's kind of out of your system a little bit, too. So it seems like right. I don't understand why that isn't more commonly used because t again to me from what I can tell it seems like with childbirth it's like you either go the old school cave woman warrior route and go all natural or they're sticking a needle in your spine and you're numb from the guts down and you don't know what's going on like yep. there doesn't seem to be a lot of like middle of the road can you please take the edge off but I still want to be present and aware of what's going on I just don't know why there isn't more like that kind of intervention probably cost and I money think, and profit. Well, I think that you, there may be like a certification that you have to have to be able to actually give nitrous. Yeah. So that might be one of them. Two, most, like if you're doing a home birth, 
there's a there's a different mentality around birth and kind of what your body is capable of when you're a home birth midwife and when you're trying to birth at home. There's really this like intuitive feel that you are capable of doing it, that the pain is not bigger than you, that like nothing is going to happen to your body that your body cannot handle. And it's really just a mental game. So I feel like it probably goes against maybe philosophically for certain midwives and people who want to birth at home. But I know most birthing centers do offer it. And that's kind of between like home birth and hospital. At at a hospital, I mean, they probably don't make very much money off of it. I mean, I would imagine- And speed. They want you out of there. Like that's the biggest thing I took away when she went to the hospital. They were like encouraging her to get a C-section because they want you out of the bed turn that over almost like a hotel is like turn rooms over. Like yeah. people have just no idea how much of the money aspect. I think this like, also, I got red pilled on birthing just by going through this. <laughs> I think this also goes back to, to though, sort of the lack of care and attention and um, respect we give to something that is a completely female issue. Because again, it's like if dudes were giving birth, this situation would be different. And we know that for a fact. If dudes could get pregnant, the birth control situation would be different. We know this for a fact. Like my response to that is, and again, we all have our opinions, but I'm just like, just because you can get through something without medication, why would you put yourself through excruciating pain if you can have something that isn't, isn't, overly um, risky that can take the edge off. Like you could probably get through resetting a broken bone without any medication either. When you go to the hospital, they're like, hey, you wanna take something for that? You're probably gonna want to. Like, why Why? Why does it have to be one or the other? Why does it have to be this like woman warrior, no drugs, do it, you can do it. Just deal with the excruciating pain or like knock yourself out until the baby comes out. I just, anyway, that's that's my own personal hang up because well, I feel like- off- well, yeah. I do think she has a pain on that. I do think that probably, and I haven't done any research in this, but I feel intuitively, I feel like in hunter gatherer tribes that women were probably like smoking pot or doing peyote or maybe doing what's the uh, the ayahuasca, that something like that. Or, yeah, yeah, ayahuasca. Yeah, ayahuasca. Yeah. yeah, like I feel like there, there's probably something that they did give women to like help through that. Having had had like nothing though, I will tell you that there is a sense of like empowerment mm-hmm. after the fact that I that I just don't feel like I had after giving birth to Dara. You had guilt the first time. Yeah, and I feel and sh- like and almost shame from yeah, like giving had, in, mm-hmm. and the unit she's gonna have that forever f- from that birth. It's a one-time experience. I did so. listen to a podcast. Um, I listened to the VBAC link though. I like, I digested that like crazy when I was pregnant with Rowan. Cause I wanted to know, I just feel like there were so many things that I didn't know. Again, like growing up, we don't hear about these things. You don't, nobody really like talks in depth to you as a child about experiences and things that you went through, yada, yada. So, uh, the VBAC link is all about women who have had C-sections and now want to do vaginal birth and some are successful, some aren't, but I learned there was a lot of terms that were dropped in there. And um, one of the the interviews, the mom was talking about that really hit home with me and let me drop a lot of that shame and guilt I had with Daro was basically that she was like, you know, yes, it is my birth experience and it was traumatic for me. It didn't go the way that I wanted, but it was also my son's birth experience. And it's one that he can't change. And she's like, I have a chance to kind of rewrite the way that I birth and the way that I feel about it by having another child and going through it again. And she's like, so I finally just accepted that that's the way that it was. And that was 
that was very like liberating for me that I felt like, you know what, that's right. And I shouldn't just, I shouldn't talk about his birth in such a negative way because it's still his experience. And I don't want him. I just feel like subconsciously that could make him feel some type of way. You know what I mean? So that helped me drop a lot of it. But in the way that I did it with Rowan, there is just this like accomplishment and empowerment now that I feel that I did not feel before. And not to say that if I had had nitrous or was get or had smoked a little bit of pot or something and felt better that I wouldn't feel that. But given that I didn't, I just feel like if I can do that, there is nothing that I can't do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With that said, I could still use some nitrous right now, but anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> moving on. So first birth, you are interested, you're looking at doing it in a birthing center, which is sort of like, I think a lot of people consider it kind of a happy medium between doing yeah. it at home and doing it in a hospital. So talk us through that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's set up like a regular bedroom. They have a bed in there. The birthing center that I went to had uh, jet tubs in each one of the rooms. So if you wanted to do, if you wanted to get in the water for pain management, or if you wanted to birth in the, in the water, you could, you could do stuff like that. They also had a shower, endless amounts of hot water, endless amounts of hot water, <laughs> which was amazing. So I sat in the shower the whole time. Um, but my, my labor just ended up being really long. And I think Daro might not have been in an optimal position. Um, I had a doula. She's a fantastic doula, but it was, I was also one of her first like paid births. I don't think she had maybe enough experience. Your mom was there too. My mom was more involved than she probably should have been. Um, no, I think my mom, I think my mom, I didn't feel like anybody was like violating my personal space or doing like what I didn't want them to do. The only thing that people kept doing to me that I really did not like where they will push on your hips. It's supposed to be a pain management thing. I'm not about that. I don't like that. Don't, I don't want to be touched. Like when I'm in pain, uh, my, my, my midwife is training a midwife. So she had a, like a student with her. Her student attempted to do that at my house and I like freaked out. My doula was like, no, no, no one's going to touch you. It's fine. It's fine. Cause that's not, I didn't. So other than that though, everything was fine, but my labor just ended up being long. I also didn't know really what I wanted. Like I didn't know that I needed someone to get in my face and tell me like, you can do this and really believe in me. No I, matter what. I kind of like, wanted, yeah, I kind of wanted somebody to like leave me alone and let me do my thing. It's what I thought I wanted until I was in it. And then you're, Ment- you're, you reach a point in, in labor where you're not mentally there to be able to really ask for what you want. So mm-hmm. it's really important that if you, whoever your support team is, if it's your mom, your partner, your doula, that they understand you intuitively enough to be able to recognize what you need and give it to you if you haven't asked for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got transferred to the hospital because we I got- hit some kind of wall. And that, what was the fear that you were going to be too tired, basically? So I wouldn't eat anything and I hadn't slept in like 40 hours and I wouldn't drink anything. I was dehydrated. They ended up giving me an IV because I just, I kept refusing everything. Nothing sounded good. Were you nauseous so the, as well? Or was it just, you were so exhausted. You weren't interested in eating and drinking. I wasn't nauseous there. No, I was just tired. I was getting really tired. Like my body. Was, so I was at, it's, and I didn't know this at the time, but it's called the seven centimeter stall. And it apparently is a point because when you hit seven centimeters, that's typically when you go from active labor to transition and transition is like, that's when your body is like really getting gearing up. Your contractions get really intense. And I just was there for a long time. And so the idea was, okay, well, if we transfer you to a hospital, you can get an epidural, 
you can relax a little bit. You can get out of the pain that you're in. Like maybe you can have some food and then maybe your body will just like continue on. So that was the, so I didn't get transferred because it was like, oh, you know, this is an emergent situation or anything like that. I will say though, the birthing center and a lot of it, not all of them, but most of them are similar to hospitals in a sense that you were on a time clock. Mm-hmm. If you have been there for a certain amount of time, they start looking at things and midwives will do this too, but it's, you know, you're not paying for a room when you're birthing at home. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And a midwife typically won't come to your house until you're like at a certain point. Mm -hmm. So I do think that was a little bit, that was part of it. I think if we'd stayed at the birthing center and just done some of like the work that I did at home, I think I could have done it. Or if I just tried to birth the first time, it would have been different. So question, could you have gone into that with the midwives and the people there at the birthing center in a certain, like, could you have gone in a way and basically, I don't care how long it takes. If you got to upcharge me, this is going to happen. Well, they would have. If I had been there for longer than 24 hours, they would have charged me for an extra day. Yeah. I mean, so, but I'm saying like, if you went in saying, I don't care if you charge me for an extra day, like before you went into it, I think maybe the point is mapping out what you want and don't want and like being, maybe even have a checklist. Like you, you were way more prepared this second time here because you knew a lot of the things you did or didn't want from right. the first time. And people go into a first birth and they have no idea. So they delegate that to the experts and the experts always have some other agenda or dollars or this or that or whatever. Like there's always some other influence that I think can really mix things up. And when you're in your state, you can't think like you're not thinking correctly to be your own, like, you know, I couldn't say sign this legal document in that state. You wouldn't be considered, you know, like right mind, basically. Right. But uh, that's a that's a tough situation to be in because again, you can make this this detailed plan, but when you've never done it before, your partner's never done it before, you're really still kind of just trying to figure yeah. it out, right? I mean, and then you you know, that's where like trusted doulas or your mother. Yeah, or midwives and doulas that people. are on the same page. I, I think at that I think at that point I was more like if my midwife is recommending that I go to the hospital, then she probably knows best. And so I took their advice versus at home. It's not that I wouldn't have taken her advice, but I would have fought more because I would have been like, no, I know what's best for my body. If I don't feel like it's the right time, then that's it. But I also went into my second birth knowing, Hey, I got really tired at my first one. I need to eat food. Like y'all have to force feed me, make sure I drink water. You know, I did certain things the second time that I didn't do the first time, mm-hmm. but I think I just kind of trusted because she gave me an option. She said, if, if you haven't progressed in two hours, she's like, I would like for you to go to the hospital. And I said, let's go ahead and go now. Trusting that what she had advised. And then also, I think because somebody had given me an out, like you can get out of this pain. I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and take it. I've literally been here for so long. You would have gone to the hospital here. You said if it was closer, because we live a ways from a hospital. So this is a normal thing though. Apparently that women think and feel. Yeah. We haven't gotten yes. into the birth with Rowan, but the thing that bothered me, there were two things that I kept thinking over and over again, that really bothered me. Like I wasn't expecting to think those things. And it, I was really perturbed that I kept thinking them. And one of them was about an epidural and how I wanted to go to the hospital. And the thing that kept me from going was the fact that we lived an hour away and it's super windy roads and nobody in their right mind wants to be in a car when they are in labor having contractions the way that they are, because there are very specific positions that feel comfortable to every woman and they're all different. And you typically are not going to get in a car. And so for me, I was just like, do you really want to deal with windy ass country roads for an hour to get to a hospital? And then you got to deal with all the COVID crap when you get there. I was like, no, 
well, we will stay here. But I kept thinking about it like over again, over and over and over again. And I, but that's normal. Like mm-hmm. my doula told me like, that's normal. My midwife told me that's normal, you know, mm-hmm. to think that. So, um, sorry. Okay. I so where we left off. yeah. So you're, you're, you're changing from the birthing center to the hospital. And then at some point you end up having a C-section. Is that right? Yeah. What happened from hospital to, to basically C-section? So I, we were not there for very long. Uh, so they check the baby's heart rate and it's called D cells. And it's when the baby's heart rate is decelerating. My midwife that I birthed with at home sent me a lecture that she actually did on D cells and what is normal. That was not something that I knew about going into birth with Darrow. So when they tell you like he's having D cells, basically his heart rate is irregular. Um, they couldn't administer Pitocin, which I didn't want them to anyways, but they couldn't administer to like speed up labor because of that was their hospital policy. So they, I basically just kind of had to wait it out. And because of that, and then she told me that his head was coning. She was like, you know, and she made this motion with her hand. She's like, his head should be shaped like this. And it's starting to shape like this. And she, it was basically like, I'm recommending that we do a cesarean now, because if we wait, it's, it, it's going to turn into an emergent situation. And that's what we don't want. And I got really paranoid that, well, if it becomes an emergent situation, are they going to be able to cut me and suture me properly so that I can birth vaginally in the future? Like, what is that going to look? I was more, I was thinking about what's going to happen with my next babies and not about what is happening with this baby. And then the thing with the head, I didn't know at the time that that was totally normal. Mm -hmm. Baby's heads take on some really freaking weird shapes when they're born sometimes, like real weird. Mm -hmm. It's normal. Does not mean your baby is going to have brain damage or bleeding. Like it's natural. Their, their brains are meant, their bodies are meant to do that. I got concerned though, that he was going to have like brain damage or bleeding or whatever. So that combined with the other thing, I agreed to go ahead and do it. Um, obviously there's like a whole world of things. They don't tell you about what that's going to feel like. And there's like, you know, nobody went over the risks. There was no actual informed consent of, okay, well, do you know that you can have uterine rupture? You know, you could have a hysterectomy from this. You could like all the list of like risks that come along with a serot that never happened. It was just like, okay. And then I got wheeled into the room and I did get very nauseous there. Um, they had to give me whatever they give you for nausea multiple times because I had not eaten food in so long that I was getting sick from it. Yeah. Yeah, That I was. Yeah. What do do you have any idea of the numbers or the risk factor? The, I mean, I've never heard about the the possibility of a hysterectomy from a, um, a C-section. Is that something that is like incredibly low or is it, so that's why they feel like safe and not saying anything or is it, do you know anything about that? I don't know what the actual risk number is. I'm sure that it is very low, but uterine rupture is also extremely low. Like uterine rupture is usually why they don't recommend that you have a vaginal birth after a cesarean is because they say, oh, well, you can have a uterine rupture. Okay. You have a 98% chance that you're not going to have a uterine rupture. Like it is significantly higher that you're not going to have one than that you are. And there is a whole world of complications that come along with repeat cesarean. The more cesareans that you have, like the harder it is on your body. And it's not initial things that you see, it's things that you see 10 to 20 years later, like digestive issues and, and bladder issues and all sorts, all sorts of stuff that you just don't know about. So I'm sure the number is very low, but it's still there. I just think 
um, as, as far as a nation, our medical establishment is required to do informed consent, but it is governed by the state. So if the state does not have specific laws in place saying that a practitioner has to tell you all the risks of something before going into it, then they won't. And I, as in Texas, they obviously don't. So I just, I just kind of feel like it's one of those things where like the doctor has gone to school and they know best. And so this is what they're going to recommend. And if you don't ask, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mm -hmm. know if they look at it as a way of talking you out of it or what, but I just don't think it's like common practice to do that. Yeah. To like inform somebody of like, well, these are the things that can happen. Hey friends, bear with me for a quick second while I tell you about the company that made today's episode possible. It's going to be relevant to you, I promise. Uh, these are my friends over at Bioptimizers. They make gut health supporting products um, that are some of the highest quality, most effective that I certainly have ever tried, which is why I support them now and they support me really well. Um, they have a range of products, including their most popular, the ones that I'm using all the time, masszymes, uh, digestive enzymes, and their probiotic product. They also have a magnesium product that's really great. Um, they have another uh, gut health promoting collagen powder that's chocolate flavored that I take in the morning because of course it's chocolate flavored. It's awesome. But all of their products, they've probably got a, a dozen, are all about promoting gut health. And I started taking their stuff at the very beginning of the P word, the pandemic last year, because that was a while ago now. And um, it was when I was stuck inside, stress was really high. My food was great. I mean, my lifestyle was as on point as it could be when you're stuck inside the house, but I was experiencing some gut health related issues, some weird symptoms that I'd never had before. And I started taking their products religiously and it made an incredible difference, like a significant difference. I almost couldn't believe how impressive it was. And I've been using it on and off ever since, mostly when I need to support my health around times of stress or travel, or if I'm kind of off my diet or my lifestyle in any way. Um, but these are products that you can be taking all the time and they have made a, a huge difference in my life. And so that's why I want to pass that information along to you guys. So you can head to bioptimizers.com or you can just click the link in the show notes and you can use the discount code, you guessed it, Muscle Maven for a discount. Work on that gut health. It is important. Thanks guys for listening. Back to the show. There's also the conversation around, and of course, this isn't this isn't black or white. Lots of perfectly healthy, thriving babies are born via C-section. Of course, there is also the conversation around sort of the um, the healthy microbiome that is developed when a baby is born vaginally, right? And there's all kinds of right. talk about you know higher um, instances of things like asthma and allergies and digestive issues and all kinds of things um, for babies who are born via C-section because they don't get that sort of initial like burst of kind of um, immune response from being born vaginally, right? Um, was that something that right. you were thinking about, that you were concerned about? Was that something that you noticed as your baby was getting older? Were there any issues? Issues around that or not? So Daro has actually been, I mean, he's gotten, he had roseola a couple weeks ago, which apparently is going around, but that's like, it's almost like a rite of passage with, with children. It's like a very minor viral infection that they get. And he's had two fevers other than that. And he hasn't, I mean, he's, but we also feed him really well. He gets tons of outside time. He is still breastfeeding. 
I did massive amount. That child lived in me in a diaper only and me wearing a bra for months at home. Like unless we went somewhere, he didn't wear any clothes. Um, so you were saying skin on skin? Yeah, skin on skin. So I did yeah, tons of skin important. on skin. I will say that like when the time came for my C-section and stuff, uh, my, my midwife had actually sent my doula home, which is like a kind of a no, no, she shouldn't have done that. It, it's like that my, I should have sent my doula home. My doula hadn't slept in like two days though. So I didn't have anybody in the room to be able to try and advocate for certain things. I had no idea. Like, uh, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> like doing skin on skin and stuff like that. And I also didn't, I didn't write out my birth plan and take it to the hospital with me because in my mind, I was very much like, I'm not going to the hospital. So I wasn't too worried about that. I did that the second time with, with Rowan. Um, my doula knew exactly what I, what I wanted. Uh, but I mean, that was a concern going into it. And that was one of the, one of the things that I had like guilt and shame around is that like, I didn't get any delayed cord clamping. I didn't get immediate skin on skin. Like I didn't get, I just didn't get a lot of the things that I wanted initially in having a cesarean, which a hospital will let you do some of those things. But you probably have to request them. You do have and to like fight them. for them. Like they want to just do their yeah. quick, like, this is simple. This is that, whatever. And why don't you tell them the numbers of C-sections in America compared to other countries. That number that number itself should tell you some stuff. Crazy. So Texas is actually the least safe place in the entire United States for maternal deaths. I don't exactly know what the percentage of like women who give birth versus how many that die, but of the entire United States and we rank like in somewhere in the 30s to the 50s. I think we're like 35 of developed countries. Mm -hmm for our like maternal, our, our birth stuff. For, because for of, death rate, right? Like child, like people child think that- Third world countries. Right, third world countries where babies die less in childbirth than America. Safer. Oh, well we have the, of any developed country, we have the highest um, infant mortality rate and the highest maternal mortality rate. And ha but how many C-sections do we have here compared to a lot of other places? Like the percentages are like out of whack. So 35% is where and the like, United States- And the rest of the world at. is like, it's almost rare. Well, even most, even most doctors will say that like, there shouldn't be more than around like 10% cesareans mm -hmm. for, for actual like life-threatening, yep. life-threatening But it things. becomes a default because at, it's very profitable. Yeah. yeah. How much do they charge us for that? Or the insurance company, I should say. Uh, our bill was somewhere between 26 and $30,000. Okay. Now we didn't go to hospital in the second birth, right? How much did it cost? My midwife cost $4,500. And so what else though? What are all the expenses? Maybe my the burgers was, we had to buy for them when they were doula, here? My doula was $1,800, but she gives a home birth discount. So she was like $1,600. So $1,600 plus my midwife. And then I had to buy like a birth box, which costs like $60. And then... So is it, so basically six to 7000 is what we spent on that just that do, to do at home. I'm definitely staying in Canada if I give birth. I'm just saying that. Okay, uh, Colin, through all of this, for the first birth, how were you dealing with the progression and the movement of location and then this sort of last minute C-section thing? Like, do you, in retrospect, feel like there are things that if you had known or things you could have done differently or what, what was going through your head? Like, how were you experiencing this? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really do anything to, to like, to throw, I didn't want to do anything to throw a wrench in things. So it was just very much like, what can I do to help? And had I known maybe a little bit more about the C-section option and what that entailed, I would have at the very least asked questions like, well, okay, what's the absolute max amount of time we can do before this does become emergency? I want your professional opinion. 
two hours, good. Then minimum of waiting me, two hours. Like I could have at least done something. Let me interject. So if my doula had been there, that is actually something that they're like trained. So when they had come in and they recommended it, a, a well-trained doula, norm, if depending on how the mother is feeling, would say something like, do you want to take an hour to think about this? A small little interjection of saying like, we're going to wait a little bit more time and give her a little, a minute to think about it. And then we'll come, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's something that like a doula would do for you. Or like, yeah, if he had been, you know, if he had known more about it or something like that, would have. If I had known that the doula should have even came, I would have maybe said something about that too. Or I would have said, hey, Mallory, what should I do? Or what can I do or anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was lack of preparation for her teaching me certain things. Or like she said, she didn't really have a plan. I think if you're going into a birth and you've done your research, which she did a lot of research, right? Obviously, you should have some notes. You should have a checklist or have something. Or you should have some like flow charts of where this happens, we're going to do this. Or we're going to wait this or whatever. Like, I just think that there's probably a lot of, just a little bit of planning, I think could go a long way to maybe prevent some of these things. I mean, this is life-changing stuff. Like absolutely, you know, people do die in these, these situations and at the hospital, they're just so used to kind of cranking them out that they don't even really tell you the, 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 the risks. They just make you sign a piece of paper. I think I signed something. And like, I kind of like scanned it and I was like, you literally no, nobody said anything. I think about risk to me. Probably signed the document when I was waiving certain things. Some, I signed something. I have no idea what I signed. So how much time was there between the first and second baby? I got pregnant at 16 months. So Dara was 16 months and they okay. are 26, 25 months apart. Okay. So almost exactly two years. What was the process like for you once you realized you were pregnant again and probably, probably were thinking I'd like things to go a little differently than they did the first time? What did you read? What did you research? Who did you talk to? What did you do to prepare yourself differently? So I had been starting to like follow people and pay attention in a lot of like mom groups that I'm in that are specific to Austin about home birth midwives and doulas and stuff like that. So, um, you did that before the first pregnancy though, right? Yeah, but I so, did it. I did so it. So you more, did it like more. After I did it more for specifically for home birth midwives because I didn't know, like when you're at a birthing center, it's midwives that deliver your baby at a birthing center. And they, they, the, 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 the birthing center that we had had a specific like medical director that kind of oversaw everything. That's why I said it had like a sprinkle of like medical on top of it. Um, most birth, most birthing centers don't they don't have to have like a medical person over it, but mine did. So home birth midwives though, I didn't know anything about them. And I, so the VBAC link was one thing that I did. Uh, that's a podcast. I, anytime I drove to Austin or had like an hour of, I was able to like listen to a podcast, I would just listen to that. And it was basically just, there's, there's two, it's two doulas that host it and they just interview moms and they, the mom talks about their birth story and they talk about their cesarean birth story. And then they talk about their vaginal or their like not, or their attempted vaginal birth story. And then in that, a lot of things got dropped, like, um, alternatives to Pitocin. If you, if it's recommended that you need to, um, like induce labor. So like I learned about a fully, a fully catheter bulb, um, that's where I learned, I just learned about a lot, just a lot of different things. And so from that, what I would do is I would go home and then I would research those things. And then, um, that would inform your decision on like the midwife though. Cause the midwife process, you like had to ask a few people. And I think if somebody's not going to listen to a bunch of podcasts, but they want, they want to like kind of shortcut that a little bit, 
maybe how you found the midwife slash doula, what your parameters were. And so then I like actually, that could save them someone a long time. I actually found her because there are several like midwife societies. Every city will have usually midwife societies that midwives are a part of. Um, where they, they vote on things or they do whatever. And they, midwives have to fight a lot for their rights. Like their rights. Yes. They are, want to they kill the industry try and take them away all yep. the time. Yep. So midwives are typically very active in their communities, trying to fight for their rights to let women be able to, it's some of these States have really like crazy things that they will and won't let midwives do. Um, Texas is one of the more like open and free ones, which is nice. So I ended up following this specific, like, collective of midwives and then from there there were a few midwives that were tagged and I went and followed them individually just because I wanted to kind of see what they were doing and then my specific midwife posted one day about uh postpartum uterine massage and so it's a standard thing that happens after you deliver vaginally where they will come and they essentially like they massage the uterus but they kind of like pump it and it can be a painful thing that happens and it's to ensure that your uterus like starts contracting so that you don't hemorrhage. Is this an internal or an external thing? It's an external thing, but you have to remember like your uterus went from being teeny tiny to being like larger than the size of your baby. You literally have an open gaping wound. Even to this point now, like if Daro crawls on my stomach and hits my stomach too hard, or if Colin is like messing with my side and tickles me or something, like it's painful to have that push chance is literally a hole, it has not healed. And they go and they start pushing on that. Like it's not, I mean, for a lot of moms, they've got all these endorphins in their body. I don't, I think some people just, they're like, oh, I don't even remember that. But for other people, it's a very painful thing. And it was something that for whatever reason, I didn't want, it just, I didn't want that to happen. I'm like, I don't want, and she's in Austin, one, the only, if not one of the few that does not do that as a habitual practice. And she had posted something on Instagram about that. And that's what really interested in me and her. And I started doing more research on her. And then I started doing, I started paying attention to like in a lot of my, my mom groups, when people would, Hey, looking for home birth midwives in Austin and her name would get thrown out. Um, then you I interviewed started, her, right. And you yeah. just asked her certain questions. And I had a, I had an extremely long list. Of like questions. you have, like you have a list of things that like you want and, or want to clarify. And then you would wait for her answers. You're basically, you're, you're interviewing her for the I job. Did. So I had, I had a small list of, of midwives that I thought I wanted to work with. And I, that's what I did. You book an interview with them. Um, with her, she was my only like in-person interview that I got to do because COVID happened right after, but I just asked her probably like 80 questions seriously about it makes sense this? like you, this person yeah. is doing a very important thing for you yep. you want mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you that you trust this person you get along with this person they've got the right kind of personality or bedside manner you're gonna like not you to mention sure feel comfortable gonna, too yeah, feel you comfortable make with sure them. that they align with you philosophically yeah that you feel that you have a connection with them and that they are skilled Yep. Yeah. So a lot of my questions were around her skill on like, if this happens, what do you do? If that happens, what do you do? She also will deliver breech babies, which a lot of midwives will not do. So I wasn't concerned that that would be a problem, but I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think another thing you probably would look for with a midwife too, is somebody whose decision making you will trust. Because I think one of the things that keeps kind of coming up for me is Again, it's sort of black and white to look at it like 
the mother knows everything inherently and doctors are all just out to make money and rush you in and out, right? That's a very black and white way to look at it, right? Because it is. Yeah. sometimes moms do need outside help and they need encouragement. And sometimes doctors really are trying to do their best within the confines of what they have available to them, right? And I think all of us, and I know personally, we have stories of people who unsuccessfully attempted a home birth, sometimes catastrophically, right? And sometimes people who were, in hindsight, were not able to make the optimal decision and that resulted in a, a really devastating outcome. And so my question is always, how do we know and who in this group of people that are, is helping you bring a baby into the world, how do we know when to make a decision that you may not have planned for or wanted? You know what I mean? Like you can have this birth plan and it's written out and it's perfect and this is the plan. And something happens and it doesn't go that way. And because you are having all this pain and all this these endorphins and all this whatever, and you can't make the decision properly and other people are panicking and no one knows, and maybe the, the right decision isn't made because somebody along the chain is not informed enough or doesn't you know doesn't know how to make the right decision so how do we balance that right like i guess a very a very kind of straightforward way i'm saying this is sometimes people's stubbornness can result in life altering decisions yep. you know right. what i mean and so how do we how do we make sure that we know that whoever is making the decision along this line is going to be able to make a, the, the best one i want to offer my kind of biased opinion first all so, of our all of our opinions. yeah uh, yeah right mine's a little more so right but because i haven't actually given birth um i think if you if you if you just take down get down the first principles we wouldn't be here um if 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 women couldn't birth babies and we haven't been doing sure. it for a long long time literally a long long time like standard okay that doesn't mean that in the wild there weren't child deaths and mother dying like that stuff happened absolutely but it happened less frequently than successfully Right. Like, let's just maybe think about that. Even if it happened 20 percent of the time in the wild. Well, maybe now with modern technology and everything, you might only have to, maybe you only have to get to a like an interventional um, crisis at like five percent of the time or one percent or two percent. I think I suspect that through the branding and marketing and all things of big medical and pharma and, you know, our society and no pain and just the everything that goes on that's kind of made us a very fragile species at this point. I think that. We, we opt too often for the easy thing because it's there, it's easy to get. And our, our pain threshold or our, our commitment is just so, we, and it's never been tested, right? And I think that most women that, I mean, obviously relatively healthy, she's healthy, right? So like, obviously you have complications if you're not healthy. I think the default should be a natural birth because that's natural. And then, you know, as things come up, it changes the percentages maybe, and yeah, you you can probably have a game plan, but I think if you have someone that's skilled like the midwife and or doula and they're like, Allison wants like as, as much as possible within medical uh, ability, she wants to have a natural birth and make that the default. Then only if the things keep happening or keep coming up and you have more time, should it maybe, maybe you do something else. Right. Like, I just think that we need a little bit more resilience and you know, like that's just my opinion on that. So so it's going to be the same regardless if you have a hospital birth or you have a home birth or you have a birthing center birth. Your I believe very much in the body, but I also believe very much in your support team. And if your support team is not as educated and trained on things that they should be, 
you're going to have problems no matter what. Because if something arises that they have been trained to treat one way, but that's not really the way it needs to be uh, approached, or they don't know enough about it, or they, or they their, jump the gun. They already have they have soon. their own biases about something. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. going to affect. So, in to answer your question, I really think it just depends on the provider that you choose. Because here's the thing: is if you go to a hospital, you don't just like wing it. You don't just get any doctor. I mean, your doctor might not be on call, and so sure you had this this provider this whole time, but now your doctor's not on call, and so they're not going to come in for your. So that does happen to women. But you do choose the doctor that you get and you choose the midwife that you get. Yeah. Or like with my birthing center, it was, um, they do like a rotational thing. So essentially in your, during your, your, um, your pregnancy care, you're supposed to meet every single midwife, establish like some sort of relationship with them. So you can, so that on the day that you birth, whoever is on call, you already know them. You've kind of familiarized yourself with them, whatever. Some hospitals do that too, but you're not, really going in somewhere swinging blind like you get to pick who your provider is and if you don't like your provider then you can fire your provider and go find somebody else or you can quit their practice mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that they yeah. think like oh i scheduled an appointment at the hospital and you know it's whatever so yeah a lot of it i think has to do with your provider in knowing that they are going to know and like, knowing your rights when, when that time is and one of the things i really liked about my midwife is that she is extremely like intuitive body focused. She just highly believes that a woman's body knows what it's what it needs to do and that it's going to do it and she will support that. She pretty much let me free birth. Like she came in and they checked some stuff and she did a few things, but she was almost not there. You know what I'm saying? Like they only came in every so often. She knew that I wanted to birth basically alone. So they didn't hang out in the room the whole time, but they also know signs to look for stuff. I mean, it was crazy. Like when I would go get checkups, she would feel my belly. She guesstimated how much Rowan weighed and she was correct. She knew that she could feel that his like hand was over his face one day. And I went to go feel what she felt. And I did not feel the same thing. Like the, these people are trained and skilled to know like what is normal with your body and what's not normal with your body and when to recognize the signs of this is a problem and we need to leave. And that was actually one of the questions that Colin had whenever they did my my at home, um, they come to your house and do an assessment, one of your checkouts, check out your home and stuff. That was the question his he had for her is like, well, if something goes wrong, like, how do you know? And she's like, we know what to look for. And we have based it off of the time it would take us to get to the hospital on when we need to leave. So just depending on what's going on. So that's kind of what your provider is there for is to tell you, you know what I mean? But there is a difference between suggesting something and saying, this is what we're doing right now, because if we don't, you're gonna get hurt or your baby's gonna get hurt. There's a big difference. And mm -hmm. I think most of the time it's suggestive. Like my cesarean was suggestive. Like I did not need a cesarean unless it was actually an emergent thing. Like we should have just let my body work a little bit longer and see if it could have done what it needed to do, if I needed to do some different things or whatever. And then reassess, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like that. I think most of it is suggestive, but I mean, a good provider is going to know when to tell you. Well, so you have to know how to time. pick a good provider, but you also need to know what things that you should be asking and saying. And most people don't know even how to question a doctor about anything. Your doctor came in the first thing and she's like, yeah, I, th I think it's a good time to do C-section. And everyone's kind of looked at her and like nodded. And I don't like, even myself, I'm like, 
Like I'm like yeah. getting pulled into like, oh, they're a doctor, they know everything. Even even for someone like me, that's like almost anti-medical at this point to an extent. Like it was just like they have that authority, that appeal authority, and they like she knows what she, she seems so confident. Like for, and we want to just listen to her. For you know? a little bit of context, I had only been at the hospital for two, maybe three. Yeah, hours. you were barely there, and it felt like they I were really rushing there. you and like, but like you're taking too long and everything, and you know. Okay. Let's let's fast forward a little bit because this podcast could be a day long, could be as long <laughs> as your labor. Um, let's talk about the second one and birthing at home and that experience. I mean, you were saying that you did you you were really doing a lot of this in a almost like solo fashion. Like that's real hardcore, like you know, ancestral animal stuff. Like you're like everybody get the hell out. <laughs> Let me do this thing. Well, so, I took my mom out of the room. My mom yeah. tried to come in the room one time, and I was like, no. And she like gave me this look and turned around and walked out. I really only wanted my doula. Like my doula is my spirit animal. I cannot, I got on the phone with her for the interview. Our interview was over two hours long. The very first time I talked to her, I don't remember what the hell we talked about, but she felt, I felt like I had known her for so long. And I so, felt like, important for that connection. Yeah. I did feel like she was extremely skilled and in, in like had a lot of training and experience, but it was more so that I felt like she had a connection to me and would fight for me the way I would fight for myself when I'm not in a position that I can't really fight for myself. You know what I mean? Did you job, give right? birth? Yeah. Did you give birth in a tub or were you? I gave birth you? over my toilet, standing okay. up. Okay. Over okay. my toilet in okay. my. I mean, I should have known that a home birth probably would have been the best thing for me because I'm a really big homebody. Like, I, I like to nest and I, I like to be at home. Like, I like to get out and go do things. But home is like my comfort area. And I like it to look a certain way and feel a certain way. And I'm very comfortable. I, I've always been very comfortable in all of my homes. And looking back at my birth photos, it's funny because I'm like wearing different things. And I don't remember going and like putting on these different like I was wearing a nightgown at one point and then I was wearing a t-shirt at one point and I had one robe on at one point and then I had another robe on. You're like, this point. is my birthing hat. I'm just gonna put Where, this on yeah, at some point. Like, if I had gone somewhere, I wouldn't have necessarily packed all those things with me because I wouldn't have known that I wanted them. But in the moment, I apparently wanted them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, comfort helps if you're in pain and like you have familiar surroundings and you feel safe. Like that, I just think that's like a psychological boost that you probably can't identify. This like standing over the toilet thing also makes a lot of sense because I have to say, I haven't watched a lot of birth videos for obvious reasons. It's terrifying. Um, and you know, and I've, I've done some research, right? But it always seemed weird to me. And this goes back to what make things that are easier for the doctor than they are for the woman birthing. It always seemed weird to me that you are lying down lying on a back. bed, yeah. trying to push a baby out. Like yep. if all they say you hear over and over again, that the, the bearing down, the pushing is like you're pooping, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And all of yeah. us ancestral people know that the best way to have a Why? good poop <laughs> is to squat, not to yeah. lie down on your back like ridiculous. So I was even thinking like, look, when my time comes, even if I'm in a hospital, that doctor better be ready to catch it from behind while I'm on all fours, because mm. there's no way I'm lying down in a bed and trying to push that baby out. Like, are, those are other options that I think people don't realize are even available to them, right? Like you'll yeah. get, you'll go to the hospital, there's a bed, you lie down and you try your best, right? But is there not some, again, there's That's like- That's so unnatural too. It's right, so there's unnatural. like an opportunity here, like, let me squat, let me stand yeah. up, let me, Stand you know, walk around, she moved the she would lay she would stand she would move like it's imperative i mean if you think about our species we're, we move like child child rearing is no well, different I and it's gravity people, yeah like, yeah i think a lot of people don't know that the baby rotates multiple times while they're in 
utero to get in the right position. So if you're laying down and baby is trying to rotate, yeah, like they can get you. stuck on yeah. all sorts of things. And that's why it's important to keep moving. And that's why they have you do random things like, um, they kept having me put my like one leg up on my bathtub and I would like lean into Colin and then through a contraction and then I would turn and I would do it the other way. Yep. So essentially it was kind of like walking up and down the stairs, which moves the hips. That was the hardest part and for like, me. She was getting kind of heavy on my shoulders. Oh, sorry, Colin. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. 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 So how long were you laboring for at home? Uh, it, it was 36 hours before I had Rowan. Okay. Which right. is a long, that's a long labor. Like some people are in and out of labor in 12 or 14 hours. I'm really hoping that with next babies, I'm a, a faster laborer, but because I didn't actually birth vaginally with Daro for my body and a lot of like, once I hit transition for my body, that was all new. Like my body had time, never yeah. done, like I went really far, but I didn't go all the way. So that was a lot of, I flirted with the line of transition for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And my mom actually told me this, that apparently my midwife actually asked my doula, like my midwife was getting a little, not in like, is there a problem, but more so like mentally, I think she asked my doula, like, is Allison going to be able to do this? And my doula, that's when my doula was like, okay, it's go time. And that's when she came in and sat on the yoga ball and just started saying all mm -hmm. sorts of, you're a birth yep. goddess, you can do this and you could whatever. Um, you wouldn't I have did. had the baby without her. No, you would have, you, would you, have. you wouldn't have like, no, yep. I, I really, I, I, I owe her a lot cause she did. And it was like, I can't explain it. It was the look on her. It didn't even matter what she was saying. It was the look in her eyes. When I would look at her, there was, she did not have an ounce of doubt. There was no doubt in her mind. And I could see that on her face. And even though she was saying stuff and I just kind of felt like you're full of shit. That's literally, I felt like you're full of shit. That's what I kept saying but, to myself at first. Yeah, think about how that but is. But as time went on, it's like. What, how would that have been in the wild though? It would have been other mothers and yeah. grandparents. Like mm -hmm. you would have had other women, women, they would have taken care of you. They, and they're, they're not worried. Like you just did this. And so they're there to help you get through it and you get through it and you have the support system. And like, yeah, I mean the people around you, the more I think about it and the more just talking about this, like the people around you and being comfortable with them because in our world, they're always strangers, right? Like, for, like unless you've had multiple babies, but back then it would have been your tribe. It would have been literally not only the environment, like people you're around, but you would have been comfortable with everyone around you, you would know them, et cetera. So I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like we birth with strangers. It's so unnatural. Colin, did you catch the baby or were you not in there? I, I um, He has always been weird about that. I, I'm hoping in the future he'll just get over it. I like saw like his head popping out from like over his shoulder and I just, I just. He like doesn't want to oh, see that. That's interesting. So I think you're ancestral over here. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. you exactly. This is the one it. thing that I am always like, you are so weird. It's like ancestrally appropriate. I don't want to ruin my sex drive. Uh, I'm very, wow. I don't like gold blood. I don't like, like medical. Like I'm very, yeah. Mm, so I'll my, but... my midwife and I actually talked about this and I think that if you actually witnessed it and you were a part of it that yeah I, I, I wasn't I, traumatized I saw a little bit there was some blood and stuff going on this like, is just this is very very clear illustration of women being the stronger sex right now oh, I think if we need sure. any yeah. more evidence I think hey, it's very I, clear I, I, I say yeah. it all the time for sure okay I want to ask a couple more quick questions and then um we'll maybe sort of like wrap it up with some helpful stuff for pregnant moms or or soon to be um that wants maybe 
some tangible like next steps, things they can research and stuff that they can go and look at on their own. Um, what were you eating while you were laboring this time? Because obviously that was an issue the first time. So were you, did you, did you like plan some stuff that was like hyper palatable or did you just like shove down something that was healthy? What were you doing while you were in labor all that time? The only thing that I actually remember eating was a, they made me, Colin went and made me a smoothie that had like all sorts of crazy stuff in it. It had, I think you put like collagen in it. And I think you put bone broth in there. There were- Well, I also made sweet honey and, fruits and orange juice and apple and juice. And you were drinking apple juice a lot too. They wanted you to do a spoonful of honey when you were really like, you didn't want to drink or anything, but we needed to get calories in. We gave you literally a spoonful of honey and then you chased it with water. So I did get applesauce and apple juice because of the sugar content in it. And I knew kind of in an interesting thing, my midwife, who's as far as like food goes, is also very like clean in the way that she eats. She was like, I know this is going to sound really weird. She was like the mid the first midwife who ever trained me recommended this. And she's like, and I always thought it was so weird. And she was like, but my God, does it actually work? She was like a can of Coke. She's like, when you are down, she's like a can. So she's like something That'll about you up real quick. She said yeah. something about the Red caffeine Bull. and the sugar yeah. together. Yep. And okay. I did not actually do that. And looking back, I wish I would have done that because they, they did make me coffee. Colin made me coffee. It didn't have enough sweetener in it. So I didn't drink it, but I did. I needed like energy. I needed something to like rev me up a little bit. Mm. So I had asked for coffee, but I feel like that honestly probably would have been a better thing. And that would have been one of those very few moments in life that I'm like, dude, have the Coke because yeah. you just need the Coke. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I hear you. Um, I remember with Daro, I wanted saltine crackers, but we didn't have any. And I felt really guilty about eating gluten. So I didn't tell anybody to get them for me. <laughs> um, I think I had a little bit of fruit. I drank a lot of water. Um, I did eat a big meal. Like when I probably a couple hours after my contraction started, I had steak and sweet potatoes and a bunch of other stuff. I had a big meal. Nice. And then I think I just kind of ate anything anybody would give me. And we had, it was um, mostly sugar. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you just were not going to be chewing down steak yeah. or anything at that time. You like need that's not, easily that digestible carbs. Yeah. It that. probably would actually make you throw up if you ate something that was too intense to yeah. get down. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, some people, I think I had some bone broth. I think. Yeah. You sipped some bone broth and some tea, but you, you just weren't into it. You'd like take a sip and we like, okay, drink more. And you were just like, I don't want it. I don't want I it. I kept so. getting really hot and then I would get really cold, which was part of it. So I would like put on a robe and then I would take it off and I would put it and it was so fast the way it would happen. It was kind of like weird with what I, what food I wanted. Cause if I'm hot, I obviously don't want hot food. And if I'm cold, I'm probably not going to want cold food. So, um, but yeah, I do remember my doula trying to like force feed me the smoothie and I just kept shoving it away from her. <laughs> when, after you delivered, one of the things that I feel like people also don't talk a lot about is this like second delivery where you have to deliver the placenta, which I think some people, like you said, it ranges from people being like, I don't even remember that happening to some people being like, it was super painful. And it was like a whole other thing I had to do after I gave birth. After you gave birth, did you deliver the placenta at home? Did you go to the hospital shortly after to get checked out? Did you just stay at home? Like what happens after the baby comes out during a home birth? So um, you walk to your bed with holding the baby and because and the placenta is in you. So you have a cord coming from the placenta to the baby, which, which is strange. It is also strange to have a baby's head out of your body and the rest of it in your body. That was a very strange feeling for me. I was like, get it out. I don't, what do I do right now is very weird. Mm -hmm. Baby came and then you have the cord 
And they literally just walked me over to my bed and I laid down and I was holding Rowan on my chest. And then they go and they, they did some like minor, so I actually hemorrhaged. I lost four cups of blood, which is a, a moderate hemorrhage. So they did a couple of like light compressions on my stomach to make sure that just to kind of check, cause some of it happened when I delivered and the rest of it happened, I think right after I delivered the placenta, but I think they helped the placenta come out a little bit sooner for me because of that. Um, but it kind of just felt. There was no fanfare. I, mean, without, I think it just happened. Like my, they might've pulled out or slid out slowly or something. They helped, they helped pull it out. It's kind of like just, I mean, without me getting like graphic and being gross, it's kind of like if you pull a tampon out, that's like dry. Mm-hmm, if that mm-hmm, makes sense mm-hmm. that feeling yeah. that's kind every of woman like. listening to this knows yeah. what you're talking about and all <laughs> like the men have long of, stopped listening yeah. so yes got it that's okay. kind of what it feels like is like at least that's what it felt like for me so Janixa, who was the the student midwife she actually helped like deliver the placenta and then they put the placenta in they wrapped it up in some sort of thing and they, they check it they look at it to make sure that it was like functioning properly and doing all of that because a lot of times if you have issues with certain things they can send your placenta off and test it to to see if it was like not functioning properly and then that might be something you want to look into for future births you know if you have complications and it's literally sat in a bag next to me and rowan on my chest and it was still attached to him and i think after like an hour janixa asked me if if i wanted them to cut the cord. they asked me to cut it and i said no well she asked she asked if they wanted to cut the cord and I said, go ask Colin. And then she came back in and she said, he doesn't want to. And I said, okay, you can do it. No, I was actually sitting in the bed right there. And she's like, do you want to go? I was like, no. You were? So I go, yeah. I was literally oh, sitting in the bed next outside. to you. You were lying down oh. and and she was there and yeah. Um. So then she ended up like, the one thing that I did ask was, is, is it still pulsing? And she's like, no, it's it stopped pulsing, which essentially is- Because nutrients, so, right? Yeah, Kids babies don't. are not delivered. Babies are only delivered with a very small portion of the blood that they're supposed to have. You want to let- the placenta finish contracting all of the way to get all of the blood and nutrients into them. Um, so that's one of the reasons why delayed cord clamping was so important to me. So it had stopped pulsing like for a long time. So what, what was the hemorrhage is, and is it most commonly when people talk about hemorrhaging, it's like, I mean, most women have some degree of tearing, which is usually more like internal. It's not like people think of, you know, the external yeah. kind of like vulva or vagina being like ripped open. Usually it's like the, the, the vagina, right? Like the right. passage that's actually ripping. So is that what happened? Is it what's bleeding? What's hemorrhaging usually when a woman experiences that during childbirth? So I don't actually know, I guess like maybe from the uterus, um, they don't actually know why you hemorrhage. Like, no, there's just a lot of like theories around it. Nobody really knows exactly what it has to do with. I do know that if you have hemorrhaged once that you're more likely to hemorrhage in the future, like, so maybe it has something to do with just the way your body like functions or whatnot. Um, there's obviously a certain amount of blood if you lose it, that you have to have a transfusion, in which case I would have had to go to the hospital. Um, I was pretty, I was far from that. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I mean, they said half of it happened before. So like right when he came out and, uh, Janixa said that it might, part of that might've been because I did tear. I had a, I had a second degree tear. She's like, so some of it was probably from your tear. Some of it is from. Is that a newer thing though? Is it, is, is hemorrhaging kind of more of a like modern thing? Like, do you know the numbers on that? Cause I, I wonder if that like has happened more since we've been sitting more 
not moving as much, being inside, so, being immobile. Like just think about the biomechanics of the body. And I gotta say, just listen to all this. Isn't it amazing? Like nature and evolution, all this, like you have this thing that's outside your body, pulsating blood into the thing. I mean, it's like literally insane when really, I think about it. That I mean, nature figured this out over millions of years of like testing. I don't I don't know if that really I would imagine hemorrhaging would probably be, if we if we looked into it, one of the more common reasons for maternal death. Because when you think about it again, even mm-hmm. from like an ancestral um historical standpoint, human beings have some of the most painful trop like difficult births of all animals, right? Because of the way because we evolved brain size. from having yep. wider, you know, hips and being on four feet to being on two and narrowing our hips and these giant heads. So we do still have yep. a really, really painful, protracted, difficult birth compared to most animals. Like you watch animal childbirth and they're chilling pretty good. Like they're just like, yeah, there goes right. the baby. Well, and I just wonder if the numbers away. are higher. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if the numbers are higher now or more prevalent because of less movement less mobility. I mean, most people like, they can't even do a full, no, think about it. Most people can't do a full squat. No. You can't do a full squat and open your hips and you're going to try to pass a child through that. Like there's got to be something going on there. The only thing, and I don't remember where I found this, but one of my, two of my girlfriends hemorrhaged and one of them, it was right before she was delivering her second. And she did, she did a Berg center that I, I came across something that said, if you are deficient in B vitamins, mm. it increases your risk for hemorrhage. And it's like the only thing that I have seen. And I actually asked my midwife, I'm like, why do people hemorrhage? Is it linked to like vitamin so it could deficiency be a nutrition thing too, yeah. or is it, you know, whatever. And she's like, we, we don't know. She's like, we have speculated. People have tried different things. She's like, we go to conferences and everybody argues about why she's like, people are debating, like nobody really knows what causes it or how to fix it. Um, so that is literally the only thing that I. And when doctors say they don't know, Diet and, and like environment it's is always diet and part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, literally. Yeah. Okay, well, here's time for my daily thing to tell people to eat organ meats because obviously lots of B vitamins as and well. And we got your ones. book and we did the bread recipe. That oh, bread yeah, recipe good. was good. My mom it's made it. Good. That makes yeah. me so happy. Of course, yeah, I, lo- really I do good. love though that like, I've, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from the book and people are making recipes and it makes me very excited. But like 90% of the people who have like, sent me messages about the recipe they tried they're they're not organ meat recipes it's like i made a dessert like, I, I know i, I was like where's the organs in this because i was expecting I'm like, it and like oh so they're actually also doing like bone broth and other more accessible things i think that's maybe good when you're promoting the book to remind people like hey there's organs here, but there's a lot of other tasty stuff where you can incorporate like and hide and do things like that. You know, I think that's good. Exactly. But I'm like, all right, guys, like I see you can make a dessert with collagen in it. You want to yeah, try some liver hearts. next? Like, hello. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. So we've got to start wrapping it up soon. But um, in terms of your, your recovery after this one, what was that like? Like, I mean, you're only what, eight weeks postpartum now? Like, how are you feeling now? What were those sort of like initial first days like? Talk to us about it. So... It was pretty rough at first, mostly because I lost so much blood. So <laughs> you're bedridden. You couldn't get out. The first night I think Rowan like woke up and I couldn't reach my phone. Something happened. I don't remember. And I tried to get out of yeah. bed mm-hmm. and Colin ended you up passed, coming into the out. room. I passed out yeah. and peed. I woke up in a pool of like urine and blood on the floor. <laughs> you're traumatizing people more. To, remember what I said at the beginning promote, of this call? Well, yeah, Allison. we need to promote having kids. Otherwise we're going to run yeah, out of humans. Yeah, but here's, yeah, but that's like, things are going to happen. Yeah. Compared yeah. to my cesarean recovery, I would take this recovery hands down. 
And some women are literally back on their feet within like a few days. Like the only mm-hmm. reason that I really need to just actually, I mean, all yeah, women need to blood. stay in bed. Like you really need to yeah. stay and, and you're, trust me, you're going to get stir crazy. Like I was so stir crazy after two weeks. Um, but you really want to stay in bed and recover like four weeks if you can, like you really do. There's a book called the first 40 days that talks about like I've heard in other cultures, it's very common. Like mom stays in bed. Everybody brings her food. They bring her water. They do. And she just holds baby. They bring her organ meats. It's not like steak and things like that. They do a lot of like soups with organ meats and stuff like that. Um, for me though, I like physically had to have someone help me. And that's just because of the blood loss. Because when I would stand up, I would get so lightheaded that I would pass out, Mm -hmm. um, which happened twice but you so you already working out though when did you when was the first workout six how long weeks. after and then how did you feel six weeks i felt really good i remember working out after daro and i did not have the same type of energy that i have had this time because well, but you were also recovering from that i assume that's probably more traumatizing your body to i don't be think cut i in the started stomach. working out as soon with after daro yeah because you couldn't exert longer. yourself at all because yeah, you could tear it again well i was i was i was cleared at six weeks for it was still so tender though i remember for sex and physical activity but i don't think i actually i think i waited like two and a half months yeah i mean it depends on what kind of sex and physical activity you're going to be having at six weeks but i mean i think people forget people forget that a c-section is again it was meant to be an emergency operation right there's no other way but it is serious yes intense surgery this is not like a little just because it takes two minutes sometimes to to do it people think oh it's like not a thing you were cutting through all the layers of nerves and muscle Mm -hmm. and like complicated tissue yeah mr squeamish over here it makes me even think about it (laughs) okay 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 so So, um so yeah yeah, recovery was it was a lot better um i drank a lot of tea i drank a ton of bone broth a lot of steak Um, every day actually make extra steak steak. yeah you i should have prepared more meals and done um like crock pot meals or like par cooked stuff and frozen it that would have been better because you really want to eat stuff that's easy, easily digested so like slow roasted meats are better but i ate a lot of red meat trying to replenish blood and stuff like that um the two biggest things were just that because i tore and then because of my my blood loss so the tear was a little uncomfortable i didn't do any pad sickles which is basically mm-hmm. where you like freeze and it's got like aloe vera mm-hmm. and stuff on it um that might have felt better but that was like five to seven days and then the tear started feeling a lot better yeah you feel pretty quickly and actually. then um the animal nutrition that's and what then it was. The, mm-hmm. the blood loss thing honestly if we didn't have three stories like because so mine and colin's rooms are on the third floor so in order for me to get to the kitchen and the dining room i have to go down the stairs and then back up them if i hadn't had to go down the stairs if i just had like could walk out of my room into the living room I think recovery would have been even better because it was mostly the walking up the stairs that just made my head throb from that. And I could have got, but I just started feeling really like isolated in my room and I wanted to be kind of social mm-hmm. and it lasted for about 15 minutes. And then I was like, okay, I want to go back. Yeah. Um, but I just rested, but it was, it was a lot better. And now it's, I feel a lot better. I don't have any, like, it, it took a solid nine months for my C-section scar to stop hurting. Yeah, and I feel like she's literally like almost fully recovered right now, like eight weeks later, and she's working out and holding the baby while she's working out. And I'm just yeah. telling you, when you when you don't fight nature and you go with it, it's generally better. I just uh, I just realized how rude I've been. I haven't asked Rowan a single question. He's been here the entire time. I mean, <laughs> he's been grunting. I'm a couple sure, times. yeah, I'm sure he has something to say, but I guess he's just relaxing and taking it all in. So we'll just let him continue to do that. Um, 
Thank you so much for sharing your story. Shy, silent type. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, he's not the shy, silent type. (laughs) Are you kidding me? What? Yeah, when he's asleep, I'm the shy, silent type when I'm asleep too, right? (laughs) We'll give him him a couple more months maybe and see how uh, shy and silent he is. He'll have um, to make a second appearance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I I appreciate you kind of walking through the process because, again, I don't think, like we talked about, um, Colin, when we were chatting on the podcast, what I talk about all the time is that there isn't one answer for anything. And so that's what makes life kind of exciting and cool, but it's also what makes being healthy and being an optimized human so difficult because it's easy to follow rules. It's easy to say, everyone do A, B, and C, and you're gonna be the perfect optimal human. And if that worked, that'd be great, but we are all different and everybody has different backgrounds and challenges and personal preferences and all of those things that are gonna make this a really unique, I think, situation for most people. But I think the things that I'm taking away from this as a prospective mother is that you have to do your own research. You have to be empowered to ask people questions, to say no when something doesn't feel right, to say no to people who are helping you if that isn't working for you. You know what I mean? To really just empower yourself that this is your, yeah, this is your, experience and you get to say you get to say how it's going to unfold within again reason um and also yeah just to know that what i think what when i was asking before about like how do you know when you're making the right decision i think that if we again an overarching concept is just to approach birth by trusting the woman and her body first and knowing that medical intervention and all of these things are great things to have as plan b's and i think that normally especially in America, what we do is we trust the medical system first and then the women's bodies way further down the line. Like, yeah, you're going to give birth. It's fine, but we're going to help you. You know, I think if we switch it. Even if you listen to the verbiage around, like if you, and and this is even with like, with midwives, this isn't, this is just kind of like a societal thing. Um, Can I walk, can I eat during labor? Can I do this during labor? What? Why are you asking? It's yeah. your labor. Right. There's too much delegation yes, of can. agency to like so, external sources. And the response will be like, you know, oh, well, we allow this. Oh, or you can't yeah, do this. Or you, it's not. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that's very detrimental is that women don't feel like they are in control of their birth. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why women are very afraid to do it at home too, is because when you are at home, you are in control. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, if you feel like you want to go, cause you don't want to, you can't handle the pain anymore. You don't want to deal with it. That's your decision. You don't have somebody like offering it to you a bunch. You know what I mean? Or if something goes wrong, like, so it's just, that's, that's one thing about it is if you listen to it, it's like, you're, you're not allowed. It's, it's your birth. And like women need to, we ha- we need to take that back, that empowerment and whatever way that you want to do it. Like if you feel more comfortable at a hospital, okay, birth at a hospital but still have empowerment in doing that. And if you want to walk around or you don't want to lay down or like stop letting people tell you what you can and can't do in your own labor. Like this is your body that's doing it there. Other people are not like delivering your baby. You are birthing your baby. You as a woman, it's all you and you have to feel comfortable doing it and you have to know what you're getting yourself into also. So yeah, research is, is, is a heavy one. That. Resources, I would say the VBAC link is even if you haven't had a cesarean or you're like a new mom or whatever, that's, there's just, there's so many different stories in there with different things that have happened to people. It is a fantastic learning resource to learn about like, 
oh, I don't know what that is. And do I want to look into alternatives and what are the risks of this and all, and all of that. And then my second recommendation, 100% hire a doula. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. Okay. Well, the guy too, the guy and the man, our dad pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, the man should at least be doing all of the diaper changes for the first two to three months, especially if you're in bed recovering and he didn't even want to watch it come out because ew, you can at least change the diapers. Okay. Well, okay. We're cutting it off. We're cutting it off. He's dead for life. So that's, you, that's my Allison just said a bunch of empowering stuff and I want that to be the last thing, not talking <laughs> about poopy diapers. So thank you guys so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. You, yeah. You've helped me a lot. This has been really useful to me and, and um, I appreciate you sharing i'm still probably going to look into the nitrous thing but the rest of it sounds great and uh yeah i'll make sure i put all there's these a links ton of info feel free to reach out and ask questions yeah. and and all of that yeah you know. for sure and maybe listen maybe i'll have you and your doula back on if i get pregnant at some point in the near future so. yeah i won't come on that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right i'll keep you posted thanks guys all right Thank thanks you. ashley All right, that's it. I'm really interested to hear what you think about this one. Uh, and if anybody listening is more interested in more of this kind of content, or at least um, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, women's health uh, specific topics, I have, I'm fortunate enough to have some connections and, and be friends with some women who are really um, authorities in this area, anything from pelvic health, um, to postpartum fitness and wellness, to uh, functional medicine doctors and OBGYNs who focus in this area. So if this is something you want me to dive more into, I'd love to hear from you. So send me a message on Instagram at the Muscle Maven. Send me an email anywhere you want to reach out to me. Just do that and give me some feedback and let me know what you think because I find that very helpful to make this podcast better for you. Uh, thank you again to Colin and Allison for taking some time. You can follow them on Instagram, Allison at the grass fed baby, Colin at Colin Stuckert and their company, which like I said, has amazing products. I love their stuff at wild foods co. And of course, thank you to show sponsor by optimizers. They are the best. I use their products every day. Um, Everything that they offer is about improving gut health, which, of course, as we know, improves basically everything else in terms of health and happiness. Their uh, probiotics, their digestive enzymes are a staple in my house, but I also really, really recommend their magnesium uh, product. Really high quality has, I think, like seven different types of magnesium to address any and all of the issues um, that you may be having, because as we know, different types of magnesium impact different things from relaxation and sleep quality to, again, gut health, um, things like that. So their magnesium product is amazing. Go to their website, use the code MUSCLEMAVEN to save, and I will see you here again next Tuesday. Thanks, guys, for being here.